You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, Episode 48. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Welcome to the podcast this week. Today, I am joined by nutritionist Don Kakao, and together we're talking about all of the things that block your weight loss. And I know you know what I'm talking about here, right? You know that you're doing everything right, your meals are on track, and yet your weight still isn't coming off. Why is that? Well, it turns out that there's lots of biochemical reasons inside your body that might be contributing to your weight not coming off the way that you think it should be when you think about how you're eating. And I know that this is such a huge frustration for all of us, myself included. I have been there. In fact, I distinctly remember this time a number of years ago when my husband and I decided to try the Whole30 diet. And, you know, this was back in the day when um, I was still trying all of the diets. And so we adhered to this religiously for 30 full days. I did not have a single thing that I wasn't supposed to have for the full 30 days and my husband too. And by the time the month ended, my husband had lost like 15 pounds and I lost like two and I was so angry not because my husband lost all of that weight but because I was miserable for that whole month and I thought you know what if I had to suffer that much through all of this I might as well have some weight loss to show for it and it wasn't until I read Dawn's book um, which I'll talk about in a minute and um, you know, looked into some of these other things that I really understood that it was really more complicated than just what I was eating and that there were other things going on in my body that was contributing to this. And so in the interview with Dawn today, we really shed some lights on some of the things, some of the imbalances that are happening in your body, some of the environmental factors that might be contributing, some of the hormonal factors that might might be contributing, and what you can do over the long term to help bring your body back into balance so that when you are eating a healthy diet, the weight comes off. And I think one of the drive home points um, from my interview with Dawn is really that none of these changes have an effect overnight, that it really is just a practice that we have to engage in over a longer period of time before we see some effects. And even that piece of the story can be frustrating. But if you look at it this way, it's been our eating habits over a long period of time for many of us, including myself, over decades. And so it's probably a little bit unrealistic for us to expect our body chemistry to change overnight just like that. But I know that Dawn has seen this happen in the lives of her clients, and I have seen it in both myself and the lives of my clients as well. If you do stick to doing the work over the long term, you will see the results that you're looking for. 
And so I'm excited to bring on Dawn to the podcast today. She is an author and a qualified nutritional therapist that recently launched her radical new book aimed at readers who want to discover their unique path to lasting weight loss called The Body Effect. The book has already become a bestseller on Amazon. It's for people who want to get to the root cause of why their body is blocking their weight loss. Her approach helps you discover what's triggering your cravings and your belly fat and then target these imbalances so it becomes so much easier to lose weight and sustain it. And so without any further ado, here is the interview with Dawn. Well, Dawn, thank you for joining me on the Mindful Weight Loss podcast today. I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks, Michelle. I'm really delighted to be here chatting to you. All right, we're going to talk about nutrition today. And so, Dawn, why don't we start? Tell our listeners who you are and what you're passionate about in your work with nutrition. Okay, so my name is Dawn Krakow, and I'm a nutritional therapist. And I really want to help people bring their bodies into balance because this really helps you feel healthier, feel more alive, feel more full of energy. And it also stops your body from blocking your weight loss. When your body's out of balance, it can trigger cravings. It can trigger that desire to overeat. It can trigger your body to store more fat. So I think it's really important for our whole well-being to use nutrition in the way that our bodies are designed for. Mm -hmm. And I think you hit in that beautiful introduction, the nail on the head, when you talked about your body blocking your weight loss and the cravings and the desire to eat that comes from the way that we eat, really. Can you talk a little bit more about how our bodies can block our weight loss? Okay, so there's a number of different ways our bodies can block our weight loss. It can trigger cravings, for example, because of biochemical imbalances in your body, or it can trigger that drive to overeat. Or when your body's out of balance, it can trigger your body to store more fat or to store fat particularly around your belly. I mean, a lot of women notice that as they approach the menopause, they store weight around their belly. Mm-hmm. And that's when your estrogen levels are dropping. And your, your, your belly fat can actually produce estrogen, which it uses to offset those declining levels. Because even though you don't need estrogen for reproduction anymore, you still need estrogen to protect your bones and, heart, uh, your, bones and your heart. Mm-hmm. So it's actually your body's way of protecting you. So there's a lot of these things that go on that we blame ourselves for lack of willpower or we, we, we feel bad about ourselves, but actually it's our biochemistry being out of balance and our body trying to correct it. Mm-hmm. But our body is not set up for the type of foods that we have available to us today. Mm-hmm. And can you speak a little bit to how our bodies do get biochemically imbalanced? I mean, this doesn't just happen. <laughs> Is there anything that we do or the way that we eat that contributes to that imbalance in the body? Well, it can be to do with the way we eat and it can be to do with things like stress or lack of sleep. These can all send our biochemistry out or let's say um, blood sugar imbalances is a common one. So if you go for too long without eating or if you're eating like the refined carbs and the sugar, then it can send your, your blood sugar very high. And when your blood sugar is high, you release more insulin. Now, you need insulin, but you need it to be in the correct levels. And when your insulin is constantly high, you're constantly giving your body the message to store fat. Mm -hmm. And what can happen then is because you release too much insulin, your blood sugar then drops and it goes too low. Mm -hmm. 
And when your blood sugar is low, your body is desperately trying to bring it up again. So that's when it makes you crave sugar or refined carbohydrates again, because those are the foods that push your blood sugar up quickly. Mm -hmm. Of course, those cravings are really hard to resist because it's your body trying to get itself back into balance. Right, right. And are there things that we can do to regulate our blood sugar levels and our insulin levels a little bit more appropriately for ourselves? Yes. I mean, the first thing is, I mean, you talk a lot, I know, about um, processed foods and avoiding processed foods. Mm -hmm, Of course. Processed foods really don't help keep our bodies in balance in any way, and they don't help us balance our blood sugar levels. And I mentioned the refined carbohydrates and the sugar. If you choose whole grains, such as brown rice, wholemeal bread, rather than the white refined version, they still have the fiber and the micronutrients. And that fiber helps slow down the release of the sugars from the refined carbohydrate. So choosing um, unrefined carbs, the whole grains, and also having some protein with it helps slow down the release of those sugars. So helps you balance your blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of women will say that they just can't stop eating the sugary foods and the the highly processed foods. Um, Is there a reason for that or any idea why women feel like they're powerless when it comes to these foods? Yes, I mean, there can be a number of different reasons. And again, it's often because your body's out of balance. I mean, another one that can happen is that in our environment today, we're exposed to obesogens, which are chemicals that actually trigger weight gain and can disrupt your appetite regulation so that you want to eat more. Um, So when you've been exposed to those kind of chemicals or if your body's out of balance because you're very stressed, then it's very hard to avoid those foods, the sugars, the carbs, the the uh, the processed foods. Okay. And what are some examples of obesogens that are out there in our environment and in our food chain? <laughs> okay. So a really common one is BPA, mm-hmm. which people tend to know as a hormone disruptor, but it also causes you to gain weight. So, for example, this is in plastics. So if you buy food wrapped in plastics then the obesogens leach, the BPA leaches from the plastic into your food. And that's especially true of oily and fatty foods. So Mm -hmm. it's best to avoid foods like cheese or meats that are wrapped in plastic. Um, Another source of BPA is tinned foods. And the BPA leaches from the tin, particularly into acidic foods. So if you're going to reduce tinned foods, probably one of the best ones to reduce is tinned tomatoes because of their acidity, more of the BPA leaches into them. Okay. And in fact, in recipes, it's really easy to replace tinned tomatoes with fresh tomatoes. Yeah, no, it sure is. It sure is. And so if you're consuming these obesogens from your diet or from the packaging um, that our foods come in, or if you're having hormonal disruptions in the body because of stress, then this leads to the biochemical imbalances that cause us to crave more sugary and more processed foods. And then we get in this cycle, I'm hearing, where we eat those foods, we get the insulin spike, and then the sugar drop, and then our bodies send us more cravings for more sugar. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a number of different imbalances. They could be hormonal imbalances that are blocking your weight loss. It could be being low in particular nutrients. It could be even to do with your gut bacteria or your metabolism, or it could be to do with these obesogens. So there's a lot of different things that can go on. But it takes, you can bring your body back into balance, but it takes some time. It doesn't happen overnight. 
And it's never going to be perfect on that journey. And it's so important not to blame yourself, but to actually show some compassion to yourself Mm -hmm. and, and be kind to yourself. And because as you start to bring your body back into balance, the cravings reduce. But let's say sugar cravings, that's a really difficult one. So because it doesn't happen overnight, there are things that you can do in the meantime. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if instead of when you want something sugary, you could um, have some dried fruit or make yourself some cakes or some biscuits using dried fruit. Mm -hmm. And that helps give you the sweetness. But that, that fruit still has the fiber and the nutrients, which doesn't then exacerbate the cycle of keeping your body out of balance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or for example when you have cravings some people find that um read, having a glass of skim milk helps or um something like cottage cheese with carrot sticks because even though they don't taste sweet the dairy contains lactose which is a milk sugar and some people find that helps okay or okay. another another tip that can really help because sugar cravings is such a big thing and it's so difficult if you have them Another thing that can help with sugar cravings is um, green vegetables. Their membranes contain substances that can actually reduce the urge to sugar and chocolate. Okay. So increasing green vegetables can help. Okay. So if you increase green vegetables in your meals, um, because I know from my own personal experience, and I hear this from my clients all the time, it's like when we're in the moment of craving something sugary or sweet, um, like having some snap peas is just not going to do it in the moment. But if we increase those green vegetables in our regular meals throughout the day, will that help with the sugar cravings over the rest of the day? Yes, it can do. I mean, again, it takes a bit of time. There's, there's not like one magic food mm-hmm. that suddenly stops everything. It's a gradual process about bringing your body back into balance. And as you say, I mean, when you're craving food, who's going to reach for those sugar snappies? It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But if you can maybe pause for a moment, because the cravings often don't last all that long. So if you can pause for a moment, and then if you've got some ideas already of what might help. So let's say you want something sweet. Maybe a green smoothie sweetened with fruit, so it's still quite sweet, is something that might work for you better. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if it has to be chocolate, for example, and if you can stick to just two squares of dark chocolate, then two squares of dark chocolate might help. But for other people, that's not a good idea because it might then trigger them to overeat it. So it's really about finding what works for you. And we're, we're all different. Correct. Yeah. And I certainly hear a lot of people who are so resistant to the dark chocolate idea. It works wonders for me. One small square of it just um, does magic for me. Um, The other thing that I found worked for me for a while and I find I don't need to do it anymore. Um, But initially when I was trying to resolve my sugar cravings, I would make cookies just with a smashed banana and rolled oats. (laughs) Just mix them together, bake them in the oven. It was actually very delicious um, and very sweet. But I found like if I were to buy a package of cookies at the grocery store, I would be inclined to eat a whole roll of them or a whole sleeve of them. Just couldn't stop myself. But when I made these cookies, I just had oats banana and a little bit of cinnamon in them I'd have one maybe two and be totally satisfied so that was that was something that that helped me with my my sugar cravings and perhaps it was the fiber in there that um that really helped regulate my my sugar and insulin levels afterwards and actually cinnamon you mentioned cinnamon in them cinnamon's really good because cinnamon 
help sensitize your body to insulin, helping you balance your blood sugar levels. And it has that kind of sweet taste to it and that sweet smell. It, so it gives you the sense yeah. that you're having something sweet as well. All right. And are there any other things we can do nutritionally to help bring our biochemistry back into balance? Well, one of the really important ones is the omega-3 fats because so many people are low in them. And we've talked about processed foods already. But when, if you eat a lot of processed foods, you're likely to have a very high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with this is that your omega-3 fats, they have many benefits for weight loss. They can help reduce your appetite. They may help you burn more fat, but also they're anti-inflammatory. And weight gain and inflammation causes weight gain. And then weight gain in itself causes more inflammation. So it's one of those kind of really difficult recurring cycles that you're setting up. Mm-hmm. So the omega-3 fats are anti-inflammatory, but the omega-6 fats, they can be inflammatory and they can be anti-inflammatory depending on the conditions in your body. So if you have a lot of omega-6 in relation to omega-3, then those fats are more likely to have an inflammatory effect in your body, right? which you absolutely don't want for your health or your weight. So if you're eating a lot of processed foods, then again, you'll like to have that higher omega-6 ratio. So increasing omega-3 can be really important. Okay. And what what types of foods contain that lovely omega-3? Okay. So the best source in terms of getting it in the form you need is oily fish. Right. But not tinned tuna. Other tinned fish is fine, but not tinned tuna because that's how the omega-3 fats removed. Okay. But if you don't eat fish, you can get it from um, chia seed, flaxseed, there's some in walnuts, and a little bit in green vegetables. Okay. And do you ever recommend people take omega-3 supplements? Oh, I think omega-3 supplements can be really helpful for people if you are very low. But I always start with the basis of, of getting your diet right in the first place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Supplements can't replace um, the foods for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, is there a, a ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s that we, we want to aim for? We should be having roughly a one-to-one ratio, and that's what our distant ancestors ate. But today, different studies come up with different figures, but it's generally between 16 times as much omega-6 to omega-3 to 20 times as much. So you can see what we're eating now is really out of balance. Wow, yeah, yeah. Processed foods just wreak havoc in our body in so many ways. Um, You know, we we talked about how it affects insulin. Um, Also, now that it contains um, these pro-inflammatory omega-3s, I mean, omega-6 fatty acids, right? Um, Are there other ways that processed foods interfere with our biochemical processes in the body? Yeah, I mean, they can be high in sugar and high in salt, and that absolutely disrupts your body. And in fact, Sugar is not just in sweet processed foods. It's in really surprising foods like um, ketchups, tomato mm-hmm. sauces contain really high amounts. Yeah. And yogurts, especially low fat yogurts, often contain more sugar because fat carries the flavor. And when manufacturers take the fat out, they add sugar in. Mm-hmm. And the marketers, I mean, it can be really misleading. You think a food is healthy and it looks like a healthy product, but when you read the ingredients, it's not. So low-fat products are fine as long as they don't contain lots of added sugars. Right. And I find um, it's been years. My husband and I have been scouring grocery stores to find a yogurt that isn't full of sugar. It's it's really hard to find. Um, in fact, we looked at, uh, this was not so long ago, we were comparing labels on just, you know, the single serving 
um, you know, fruit flavored yogurts have more sugar than a Mars bar in some cases, which I thought was like that just that just blew my mind. And we've really taken now to just eating plain um, Greek yogurt without, um, you know, anything added and then adding our own fruit to it. But it's been years and there's just it. I think this is one of the challenges is that it's very hard for us to find um, find foods in the grocery store that aren't laden with sugar. And I think part of the po problem is we, we've now encompassed this lifestyle where we require the convenience of, you know, packaged and processed foods, but don't want the negative health effects that come with them. Um, and it sometimes puts people in this, you know, predicament of, you know, what, what do I sacrifice my time and my money <laughs> or, or my health with these processed foods. And I think the yogurt is just such a great example of how um, the food production industry, the, you know, um, the food industry has contributed to the problems that we're having with our diets and our biochemical imbalances in the body. Absolutely. And sugar is a cheap ingredient. So it's cheap for the manufacturers. And it's, a, you know, it might be great for profits, but it's not so great for our health. Right. But I think it's really important. I mean, a lot of us have a lack of time. So it's really important to find a way of eating that works for you. I mean, it's all very well. If you're, let's say you're a meat eater or you have loads of time on your hands and you love cooking, what you eat and what works for you is going to be very different from if you're, say, a vegan or you're very short on time. So it is possible to, you know, to cook healthy meals with not very much time. There are, you know, there are some quick and easy options you can do, or you can try cooking food in bulk and freezing some of it mm -hmm. or saving some of your dinner from the night before for have, to have for lunch for the next day. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of lots of things you can do to, to make it easier for yourself. Absolutely. For sure. Um, and I'd like to, are there more chemicals out there that interfere with our processes? We talked about um, the BPA. Um, is there anything else that that we need to be aware of? Do you know what? There are quite a lot. There's a whole long list of them. I mean, there is quite a lot, but probably the main sources are um, BPA and phthalates. Phthalates. And Yeah. And these are also in our personal care products. So a lot of us are we're using a lot of different personal care products, shampoos, moisturizers, all the rest of it, skin cleansers. And we know this can have a quite big effect on our, our the levels in our body. And these chemicals are obesogenic as well. They are obesogenic as well. But actually there was one study, and what it did, I think it was for five days, they put people on a on a completely unprocessed food diet. Mm -hmm. And they measured the levels of their BPA and the phthalates in their urine. And they found they dropped, I think it was by 55% and 65% over that week. Now, I may have got the exact percentages wrong. I'd have to double check that, but it was around that kind of level. So just trying to stay away from the processed foods or reducing your exposure to them mm -hmm. can have a significant effect on the level of obesogens you have in your body. Okay. And do you know offhand how long that study was? 
I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I think it was, I think they measured it for five days, but I'd have yeah. to double check. I, I was going to say a lot of these studies are very short, you know, durations, like a couple weeks at the max. And so even just for five days or a week or two of decreasing or eliminating processed foods can have this remarkable difference in the, the levels of obesogenic chemicals that are found in our body. Absolutely. But I think for a lot of people, making a lot of changes at, at once works. But for most people, it doesn't. It's too hard to sustain. And if you're looking for long-term health and long-term weight loss, I think it's really important to make changes at a rate that works for you. So it might be that you can start by maybe reducing processed foods for one meal a week or two meals a week or whatever it is that you think you can sustain and gradually building on that. Mm -hmm. And um, what I hear from a lot of clients is that they feel that their meals are perfectly balanced and, and healthy and focus definitely more on wholesome, healthy foods. And then it's the snacking in between or the nighttime eating where the processed foods tend to come into play. And sometimes this is simply a matter of not being prepared um, when hunger strikes. And so you grab something convenient. Um, but Oftentimes it's um, stress and lack of sleep um, and food cravings that come in for maybe emotional reasons that, that, that interfere with all of this. Um, and so any, any tips for people in that situation? Absolutely. I mean, as you start to bring your body back into balance, those cravings go. And one of the things that can help with nighttime snacking and nighttime cravings is by having a higher protein breakfast. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that you can do is, and this can make quite a big difference to some people, is to, to be aware of what you're eating and don't eat with distractions mm -hmm. and to slow it down. Right. So, for example, a lot of people, they get the cravings, get the munchies in the evening, they'll grab a packet of crisps, I think you call them chips in America, <laughs> and yes. they sit in front of the TV and eat them. And, you know, it's so easy to eat a huge amount without even being really aware of what you've eaten. So what I say to my clients is, well, look, if you're going to eat them anyway, put them to, and you have a large packet, put what you're going to eat in a bowl, put the packet away in the cupboard, mm -hmm. then sit down at a table with no distractions, eat them slowly. And if you're going to eat something bad for you, really enjoy it. It's not any less bad for you if you don't enjoy it and you just shuffle it down and really focus on it. And you may find that it slows down what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And you eat less of it. Exactly. And you're less likely to mindlessly eat the whole packet simply because you're not paying attention. Oh, it's so true. And in fact, one of the foundational habits inside our programming at Ways of Health is to slow down with your eating and eat when you're not distracted. And in fact, we have our, our clients do some, we call it a joy eat once per week. And they do exactly as, as you say, they take one of these foods that they absolutely love, put it in a bowl or on a serving plate. and sit down and pay attention to every single bite, how it tastes, how it feels in your mouth, how it, how it feels going down into your tummy, how your body feels after you eat it, how you feel emotionally when you eat it. And most clients will say they eat so, so much less um, if they sit down and, and do it mindfully. And they can see that easily when it comes to doing it as a practice with, with their, their favorite foods once per week. And then eventually when they start doing this with their regular meals as well, 
they notice that they're able to um, consume less and feel more satisfied with less food simply by slowing down and paying attention. I think that's Absolutely. an important piece. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing it does is that when you give your permission, yourself permission to do this, not only you like to eat less, but you don't feel so bad afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it can be a really big trigger for people thinking they've, they've blown their diet and then going and overeating. In fact, I watched this really interesting documentary a little while ago, and in it, they had they had groups of people trying to lose weight and following a diet, and they gave one group, well, they gave both groups an identical cake, and one group, they told them that the cake was low-calorie and healthy, mm -hmm. and the other group, they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Both groups ate the cake, identical cakes, but what was really interesting is that the group that thought it was healthy and low-calorie carried on eating healthy the rest of the day. They stuck to their diet plan. The other group thought they'd blown their diet, so they all went out and got fish and chips together that evening. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. thinking you've blown your diet, thinking you've blown your healthy eating, is can be really counterproductive. Oh, abs absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's where coaching comes into play when it comes to weight loss and changing your diet is to help you with the mindset around all of that, right? Because I think when we're working on changing how we eat and bringing our hormones back into balance, you know, we, we're not perfect. We're not perfect, right? It's, it's a process. And just like it takes time for your body to heal and adjust, it also takes time for you to change your habits. And when you do eat something that you didn't want to, or that you maybe in retrospect would have, you know, made a different decision, how you react to yourself in those moments is super, super important. It really is. It, it makes the most enormous difference. Mm -hmm. And often we're so mean to ourselves. I mean, when we when we eat something we feel we shouldn't, we can often be so horrible and beat ourselves up and tell ourselves we're worthless and useless and feel so much shame. And, and that's not very nice. We wouldn't treat a friend like that. We would never treat a friend like that. But we have no problems flagellating ourselves when we think we've made a mistake. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's so much healthier to think, you know, is my body throwing, is my body triggering this? And in fact, I found many clients when they realize that it's their body triggering it, it takes a lot of that shame away. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think once people understand that it's not their fault, that they're having these cravings, that there's biochemical or even just habitual reasons, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you just grow up being, you know, given candy when you're upset. <laughs> and so you become, yeah. you know, conditioned to want candy when you're upset. And none of this is your fault. You either have these habitual, you know, brain patterns, or you've got these um, biochemical processes that are sending you these urges and just acknowledging that this is normal. This is what human bodies and human brains do kind of takes away, um, you know, some of that, um, feeling like it's our fault and, and beating ourselves up for it. Yeah, it's absolutely not your fault if, if, you, if you're having cravings and then you, and you react to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then one thing I'd like to just quickly touch on as well is, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the importance of the omega-3 fatty acids and eliminating some of the obesogenic chemicals. And I find you know, sometimes when we give advice like this, people's, you know, um, they'll pay attention and say this, this is the magic pill, right? If I just start, you know, buying food in glass instead of 
plastic and and you know if i start supplementing with the omega-3s all of the weight is going to fall off and of course we know that 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 is not true but people just want you know something concrete to to hang their their hat on and so when we look at just these little changes you know such as you know, increasing the green vegetables or increasing the omega-3s. How, how do these little changes affect the bigger picture? Well, each little change all adds up. And sometimes little changes can make a very big difference. But when I work with people, first of all, I get them to find out what is triggering their, what is triggering their cravings, what's triggering their belly fat, what's triggering their desire to overeat. And it's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I have... I have a mini course which they can go through and it explains how each imbalance blocks their weight loss. And then there's a quiz to see if that's relevant to them. So then they know what's blocking their weight loss. And then I go through a step-by-step process with them. So you're never making too many changes at once. Each step is one change that you tailor to your dietary requirements and preferences and you use to target the imbalances in your body. So how you actually implement that step will be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So by the end of that process, you've actually made a lot of different step-by-step changes Mm -hmm. and then it makes a really big difference. I love that because we're emphasizing again that there is just no one size fits all, even when it comes to this, like each of our bodies are different and what's blocking our weight loss in each of us is completely different as well. Absolutely. I love that. All right, Dawn. And if people want to learn more about this, where can they find you? Uh, my website is dawncookow.com or I have a book out that was released in January. And if you go into Amazon and type the body effect into Amazon, it will come up with my book. Or you can email me at dawn at dawncookow.com. Perfect. Yes. And let's hear a little bit more about this book. I didn't realize it had only just come out. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy ride this year. So the book is actually based on my two courses. So in part one of the book, you go through this process where each chapter shows one imbalance, whether it's stress, whether it's obesogens, whether it's female hormones, um, whether it's your gut bacteria, whether it's food intolerances. So there's 11 chapters and each one explains how that imbalance blocks your weight loss. Mm -hmm. And then there's a questionnaire to see if it's relevant to you. Right. Okay. At the end of part one, you know exactly what's, what's behind your weight. And then in part two, you go through the step-by-step process that I talked about. And so each chapter, you make one change. So we start with getting breakfast right. Right. And again, you tailor it to your dietary preferences and requirement. You tailor it to the imbalances in your body. And then we look, the second step is actually increasing vegetables. So again, it's tailored specifically to you because certain vegetables have certain properties that can help, say, balance your hormones or can help um, with whatever imbalance is going on in your body. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And you now, um, I was all prepared to end the podcast now, but now I'm excited (laughs) about a few more things because that was the second time you mentioned the microbiome. And this, the microbiome is just from in in the science world is just such um, an exciting field currently. It feels like every month there's new studies coming out that are teaching us more about the role the microbiome plays, not just in our weight, but in our health our health overall. And I do know that people who are carrying extra weight do have a different microbiome than those who don't. 
And I have certainly seen the animal studies in mice where they do microbiome, you know, tra transfers, transplants into, you know, obese mice and actually have them lose weight. So I feel like there's exciting things coming, um, coming down the line. But are there things that we can do from a nutritional perspective to influence our microbiome that will help us lose weight? Yes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to try and get more of the bacteria that slimmer people have more of. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, eating fermented foods mm -hmm. because they contain the good bacteria or some foods contain prebiotics, which actually help boost the good bacteria as well. So that's foods like um, onions and leeks and garlic, things like that. So these are all things that you can do to help boost the good bacteria, the ones that slimmer people have more of. Right. And just like I asked you if it was relevant to take omega-3 supplements, what about taking probiotics? Is yeah, there that can be that? helpful. Yeah. And also probiotics, as you said, it's this whole new area that's suddenly being associated with, with loads of things. And we're just realizing how important it is. And one of the big things at the moment is it's part of your immune system as well. Mm -hmm. So actually supporting that, that correct gut bacterial balance is also helping your immune system. Right, of course. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you know that some of the bacteria in your gut can actually extract more calories from your food? So you yes. have to be eating exactly the same food as someone else and getting more yes. calories from it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And in fact, I recently read a study um, that was looking at like the, the calories that we attribute to certain foods. Like if you look at a package of, I don't know, walnuts um, that says, you know, if you have a tablespoon, you'll consume this many calories. Um, how many of those you actually end up absorbing versus what the microbiome um, does. And it, it can be like a 30 or 40% difference depending on the state of your microbiome. And that was new for me. That was, that was the one that I heard that. So yeah, so many things exciting things with the microbiome. I think what this all says is that there are certain things that you can do to make it so much easier to lose weight, to make it so much easier to eat healthily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. By working, by working with your body rather than fighting against it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the second thing that you mentioned when you were talking about the book is protein or breakfast, breakfast. And you mentioned earlier that having more protein and breakfast um, can help with the nighttime um, hunger as well. And I find these days, breakfast is becoming very polarizing because, you know, of course, intermittent fasting has become very trendy and popular now. And many people are choosing um, to have a later eating window when, when they do that. Um, I know for myself, if I do not have a good, I think breakfast is usually my biggest meal of the day. And if I don't have a good breakfast, um, my hunger is uncontrollable and all over the place for the whole rest of the day. And so I see this in, in a lot of, a lot of clients as well, not everyone, but you know, a lot of clients doing better when they have a good breakfast. Um, so any, any tips on what to have for breakfast to help set the stage for the rest of the day? Absolutely. Absolutely. But first of all, can I just say something about intermittent fasting? If, if intermittent fasting works for you, as we've said many times in this conversation, you are unique. And if it works for you, great. But if you intermittent fast and find that you're eating and craving food in the evening, then maybe eating breakfast is better for you. And actually maybe have your evening meal earlier mm -hmm. so that you've still got that longer window of not eating before breakfast the next day. Absolutely. So 
What to have for breakfast? Okay, so one of my favorite breakfasts is actually chia porridge mm-hmm. with oats and fruit and lots of nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you wanted to have a higher protein breakfast, you could have, say, an egg on toast and maybe with some grilled tomatoes or mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different things that you can have. I mean, scrambled tofu takes a bit longer, but it's one that I sometimes have at the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that, that, that's beautiful. And those are easy, quick breakfasts to put together in the morning as well. Yeah, absolutely. And most people want, or a lot of people want a quick breakfast in the morning, especially if you're trying to get out the door to get, get the kids to school or get to work. Absolutely. But I find, I find it absolutely fascinating watching my own life in terms of what happens to my days when I don't eat breakfast or when I don't eat a good breakfast. Um, I think before I started doing this work and paying attention, I had no idea. You know, I, I didn't have I didn't have the insight, but it's been clear as day how important to my body breakfast breakfast really is. Oh, I get grumpy if I leave it too long to have breakfast. <laughs> Oh, well, I I do too, but I also am up all night eating crap if I don't have breakfast as well. It's predictable. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And once you start noticing when you're eating and what happens, then, you know, it can be really enlightening. Right. Yes. And I have people write down what they eat, not forever, but for a while to gain some insight into into what happens. Right. And a lot of people hate this concept of food journaling, but it is such an excellent tool for awareness to see what am I doing on the days when I feel like my hunger is out of control? And what am I doing differently on days when I'm not constantly snacking or having cravings? And you learn so much about what your body needs simply by looking at the data that it gives you on a regular basis and the other thing is some people find they eat more healthily when they have to write it down because otherwise it's in writing what they ate yeah it's true it's true or if you're not doing it to anybody else or the opposite happens and you just choose not to write down the things you wish you hadn't eaten (laughs) that happens sometimes too but i i What I love about this conversation that we've had is just this idea that there are lots of little, small, very doable changes that we can make to our diet um, and our lifestyle um, that all add up to encourage that weight to come off of our body, the extra fat to come off the body. You know what? I also encourage people to think about it in terms of health rather than weight. Mm -hmm. Because if you set up the conditions in your body for weight loss, then the weight will come off. Mm-hmm. And it's actually far better to focus on health. And Agreed. actually, when you start to focus on health, it takes you out of that win-lose situation that we have with, with dieting. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and in fact, we don't actually deal in um, pounds or kilograms. That weighs a health either. We, we, define, we define our goals in terms of our ideal weight, which is... And being in a body where you feel energetic and vibrant and healthy, where you're also metabolically healthy, that encompasses a lifestyle that feels good for you and that's sustainable over the long run. And so it definitely puts the focus back on health and what you need to do to feel good. Because I find most of us, when we're eating a diet that's based predominantly on processed foods, we don't feel good. We feel bloated and sluggish and tired. 
right? Sometimes we have icky joints, right? And that, you know, you also mentioned food sensitivities um, in there as well. And I think this is something that often gets overlooked when it comes to looking at um, your diet and your overall health. Um, and, you know, we, we often have um, symptoms. It's, it's kind of like I always get congested when I eat too much dairy. Always, always. Like I, I know that there's certain, certain like, cheeses that I cannot eat without getting stuffy. Um, and I'm sure that that's probably um, a food intolerance. And there's certain foods that I always get very, very bloated um, after eating. And I've just kind of learned not to eat those as well. Um, but when you're eating foods that you have an intolerance to, you just don't feel good. Um, and I think identifying those things that you do during your day that just don't make you feel physically good is important. And sometimes it can be hard to cut back on the foods you're intolerant to because we often crave the foods we're intolerant to. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, when we eat foods we're intolerant to, we have an immune reaction to them. So it's, it's linked to um, increased gut permeability. Mm -hmm. So not these incompletely digested food particles pass through your gut lining into your blood and your your body triggers the immune reaction, which triggers inflammation, which can lead to weight gain. But some of these incompletely digested food particles can have an opioid effect on your brain. So you feel better immediately after eating them, but you need to keep consuming them to keep getting that. And actually, ultimately, you end up feeling worse. Mm -hmm. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I find um, store-bought bread does this for me. Um, when I make bread at home, homemade, for whatever reason, I'm fine, but store-bought bread, I find myself in that exact same pattern where I get very bloated. Um, I don't feel fantastic, but I get cravings for more <laughs> shortly yeah. after. Yeah. So yeah. You know it's not making you feel good, but yet you crave eating it. So it's kind of, again, one of these really difficult cycles that's so important to break. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and again, just to reiterate that breaking these cycles doesn't happen overnight, that it's a process, um, little steps that we have to take to, to break those cycles and see the effects. Yeah. And absolutely, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing in one go. So mm -hmm. instead of thinking you've blown it because you've eaten some of this bread, then why not think, actually, normally I eat, I don't know, four slices, now I've only eaten two. So mm -hmm. it's actually progress. Right, absolutely, agreed completely. I love it. All right, Don. any last words of wisdom before we sign off today? I would just like to reiterate, if you are really struggling with your eating, don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself. And it absolutely is possible to change it. I used to have terrible cravings. I have a whole history of disordered eating. And actually now I have been completely free of cravings or that drive to overeat for a very, very long time. So it, it is possible to change. Perfect. Perfect. All right. And um, I already ordered your book. I ordered it last week. So hopefully it arrived <laughs> soon. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. And I encourage uh, all the listeners out there to look into this book as well, because I think that Dawn has some really relevant wisdom to share that can help us on our journey towards better health. So thank you once again, Dawn, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Michelle. I've loved chatting to you. And it's so great to hear your take on all of this too. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dawn. I know I learned a heck of a lot. I really do recommend her book. I gave it a read. I found lots of helpful little nuggets in there to help me along my own journey. If you're interested in checking out her book, the link for you is down in the show notes. And we implement a lot of what Dawn has taught inside our programs at Ways of Health. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, head on over to my website, www.waysahealth.com. We'll see you next week.